Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Money with Katie podcast show? Question mark? I don't know. What are we calling this? I wanted to call it Rich Girl Summer, but I didn't know if that was going to have some limited seasonality. So anyway, today's episode is all about how to travel for free or close to free with credit card points. I know that this sounds like it must be full of gimmicks or it's too good to be true. I get it. I was similarly skeptical, but it's definitely one of those personal finance 505 hacks that I recommend for anybody who pretty much has their basic financial shit together. So let's get started. I kind of predicate this entire strategy on the idea that I really do think all young people, actually all people, but specifically young people who may not have the means financially to do so, should be able to travel. But travel is expensive. And the last thing that I would want to recommend to somebody is that they sacrifice or somehow jeopardize their financial freedom and security in the future just to go to Turks and Caicos a few times, right? But the good news is that it doesn't have to be expensive. Over the last couple years, my husband and I have gone on approximately 20 trips using points as the primary means of purchasing our airfare and our hotel rooms. And we're not staying in Motel 6s. We've stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. We've stayed at a Park Hyatt. We've stayed in really nice five-star locations. And while we've never traveled first class, we don't travel the cheap airlines either. So we're not not flying spirit, right? We're flying on what I'll call the legacy regular airlines. So I say that to say you don't have to compromise necessarily just because you're young and you want to travel. So my monthly spend is probably worth referencing right now too, right? Because sometimes when you hear people use these crazy credit card hacking schemes for traveling. They work in management consulting, or they're expensing a ton of work travel, or they're just honestly really high spenders, and so they're shelling out a lot of cash all the time and earning a lot of points. I only spend a few thousand dollars a month. My method is totally replicable by your average 25-year-old. So this strategy came out of a lot of trial and error, and I'm going to show you today, down to the annual fee math, exactly how you can replicate it too, uh, depending on where you are in your credit journey. So whether you have never had a credit card before or you are a Chase Sapphire Reserve loyalist, you can kind of pick this up at any point in the process and be just fine. You'll just kind of be picking your starting point. So The main headline, I would say, is that this is really an 80-20 solution. So you're going to get 80% of the value that you can derive from credit card travel rewards hacking with about 20, maybe 30% of the potential effort that you could put in. This is the most bang for your buck, in other words. This isn't the 27 card strategy. This is something that I honestly think any regular person with a good credit score could pull off and keep track of pretty dang easily. So it took me about a year of trial and error to accumulate the knowledge and to put the guide together. So I really think that you're going to get a lot out of it. But first, let's dive into prerequisites, right? Because 
Honestly, nothing frustrates me more than people just dunking on credit cards on Twitter. Can we just have a minute? It is so frustrating when people say, well, you know, the credit card companies aren't losing, so you might as well not even try. Okay, hold on. Back it up a second. Just because they have a profitable business model does not mean that you specifically, you who are willing to apply some strategy and apply best practices, are going to lose, right? I've spent $20,000 worth of credit card companies' money on these trips. I've never paid a dollar of interest. I don't feel like I'm the one that's losing here. So, The number one prerequisite is that you already have good credit. I know this one's kind of a bummer if your credit score is low or if you have a history of spending recklessly or you already have credit card debt, you won't be and don't want to be approved for more credit cards because it actually may end up causing more harm than good. The second one is that you're already or you're willing to be organized. So credit card rewards aren't rocket science, but they're also not for the chronically disorganized. It does take a little bit of finesse, a little bit of uh, spreadsheet wherewithal, if you will. You don't actually have to have a real spreadsheet for this if you don't want to, but if you feel like your spending is a little out of whack or you just need to get a general financial plan in place first, I would say you actually probably want to start just with the basic wealth planner. I'll link it in the show notes. Get your spending in check first and then come back to this. You're also just going to want to have a general grasp of timelines, dates, the amount of points you're earning, the credits that are recurring. You've got to kind of keep track of what you're getting with each card. That way you're not missing out on the benefits, right? So let's talk background philosophy and facts of travel credit cards. The number one question that I hear is, is this going to hurt my credit? Like, if I apply for multiple cards, am I going to hurt my credit score? The answer is no, at least not if you do it correctly. Having more credit cards is a good thing because when you have more credit cards, you have more credit available to you, thereby driving your credit utilization down. So if you're like, wait, what is credit utilization? Effectively, the more lenders that look at you and are like, yeah, we're willing to float this person a few grand every month and we believe that they're good for it, the credit bureaus look at that and say, oh, okay, they're obviously trustworthy. They're only spending, I'm making this up, $2,000 a month of the $50,000 they have available to them. Clearly, they have their financial shit together. That's probably an oversimplification, but it makes your credit score go higher when you spend less of the available credit that you have available to you. And the only way to get more credit available to you is to have more credit cards or to request the credit line on your existing cards to be increased. But you just have to think about it like a trust barometer between you and the lenders. Low credit utilization or only using a small percentage of that credit available to you accounts for 30% of your credit score. So it's a huge factor. I hope it goes without saying, but You definitely need to be paying these cards off in full, on time, every single month. If you're going to carry a balance and pay interest, it defeats the purpose of all of this 
and you're not going to get ahead using credit card rewards. So I wouldn't bother if the plan is to carry a balance. Another popular question that I hear all the time is, are new cards bad? So yes and no. New credit is minimally impactful on your credit score. Uh, Having new credit from a new credit card only accounts for 10% of your overall score. So granted, your credit age is important, which is why I always tell people, don't cancel your old cards. Even if you aren't using them or you don't want them anymore, you want those older cards in your credit history because it makes you look like a more established adult with a longer history of responsibly using credit. So if those cards have annual fees and you don't want them anymore, I would recommend calling the number on the back of the card and requesting a downgrade to the no annual fee option, but that way it keeps your line of credit open and it doesn't lower your overall credit age or your overall available credit. I know, it's a lot. So another popular question is, am I supposed to keep all of these cards? Because honestly, in the true blue credit card hacking world, there's this thing called churning where you basically get a card for the sign-up bonus, use the bonus, and then close the card. That isn't good for your credit, and that will lower your available credit line. I don't recommend doing that. That's why every single card featured in this strategy breakdown is valuable enough year over year to warrant paying the annual fee on an ongoing basis. That is, if you are using the benefits, right? Some cards have high sign-up bonuses, but they're not very worthwhile afterward, and those cards are not in this breakdown. Everything that you're going to hear today is a card that I recommend opening and keeping and have opened and kept myself. And then the last question that I want to talk through is, what if you don't want to keep paying the fee? Okay, I get it. Sometimes you may open a card having really amazing intentions for it, and then for whatever reason, you don't find yourself reaching for it, or you like another card better and the benefits that you're getting, and you'd prefer to earn points on that one. But you don't want to close the card and hurt your credit score, right? So this is where you're going to employ that downgrade option. You're going to call the number on the back of the card and say, hey, for example, let's say I have a Chase Sapphire Reserve card. It's, I think, a $450 annual fee. And let's say I don't really want that card anymore. I'd rather switch to the American Express Platinum card, which is the one that I recommend for premium cards, and I'll tell you why later. Instead of closing the card, because obviously you don't want to keep paying a $450 annual fee on a card that you no longer want, you would call and you would say, hey, I would like to downgrade this line of credit to a Chase Freedom card. That's their no annual fee cashback card. So from that respect, I really think this strategy is pretty damn risk-free because if at any point you go through years one and two and, you know, you blow through all your points and then you decide, eh, that was cool, but I actually don't want to travel for free anymore for some reason, you can just call and downgrade all of them. And sure, you may have more credit cards than when you started with, but your credit score is probably going to go up as a result of it and you're not paying any annual fees. So the worst case scenario is that you go on a few free vacations, right? It's really not that big of a deal. 
Again, assuming you are paying them off in full and on time every month. I will repeat it because it bears repeating. If you're going to carry a balance, it's really, really not worth it. Not worth it at all, right? So one last thing that I want to note here before we kind of dive into watch outs and timing about when you're applying for these credit cards is that be careful about calling to downgrade a card if you still have points left. So for example, if I get the Amex Platinum and I get 100,000 points, let's say I spend 50,000 of them. So I have 50,000 left and maybe it's time for that annual fee to come up again, 12 months have passed. Be cautious that if you call and downgrade the Amex Platinum to the no annual fee, I think it's the Amex green card that doesn't have an annual fee. I can't even remember off the top of my head. I am almost positive those points are going to go away. So you want to be conscious and cautious that you're not downgrading or, God forbid, closing cards that you still have points with because the points are nine times out of ten going to go bye-bye, and that would not be fun. Okay, so more watch-outs around timing. Obviously, I'm about to suggest that you get six different credit cards, and uh, that could feel kind of overwhelming. I remember when I first started down this path, one of my major questions was, how often can I be applying for these cards? Is there like an unspoken rule or limit? And yes, there kind of is. You really want to wait 90 days between applications. So timing-wise, we're going to loosely follow a one card every three months cadence. But that would mean that you could theoretically acquire four in your first year. So most spend thresholds are three months long. Let's pause. A spend threshold is effectively what the card company requires from you in order to give you the sign-up bonus. So for example, you might apply for the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless card and the spend threshold will be spend $3,000 in the first three months in order to get 100,000 points. So you have 90 days, three months, to spend three grand in order to register those points and to claim them. They don't just give you the points for opening the card. That would be sweet, but unfortunately, it's not how it works. So that's partially why I recommend 90 days, but it's also just good because too many applications for new credit in short periods of time can kind of send up a red flag to the credit card companies and it may result in a rejection and you definitely don't want that. Not that it's that big of a deal to get rejected. I've been rejected for the Chase Inc. Business Preferred card like six times. (laughs) But if you are really trying to strategize your timing around how you're acquiring the points and when, it could just kind of throw a wrinkle in your plan because then six months are going to pass where you don't get a new one, right? If you're waiting every 90 days and then if you uh, get rejected because you don't wait long enough, then you have to wait another 90 days from the rejection to kind of keep things on the up and up. So it's a combination of not raising any red flags with the credit bureaus as well as giving yourself that full three-month period to hit the spend threshold so you're not having to hit multiple spend thresholds at once and being tempted to overspend as a result of that. Another thing that I want to note while we're talking about applications and timing 
is that if you're in the process of getting a loan, like a mortgage, for example, maybe you need to go back and listen to episode one. No, I'm just kidding. If you're getting a mortgage, don't go anywhere near new credit cards. The moment that you start messing with credit cards during that process of getting a loan for something as big as a house, it'll foul things up. So definitely wait until you're in a period of your life where you are not applying for loans to try this. You just don't want to mess with it. It could interfere with the interest rate that you're given because it could impact your credit score in the short term. So don't be surprised if when you apply for a credit card, you see a temporary hit to your score. Over time, it will go back up. And really, the day-to-day, month-to-month nature of your credit score doesn't really matter all that much until you're applying for loans. So don't stress out if you see a slight hit. The last rule that we're going to talk about is the Chase 524 rule. So I consider Chase like the daddy of travel rewards because they really have the best offers and the most robust lineup, really, both of their like partner cards and their travel agnostic cards. So in an effort to prevent people from churning, they only allow you to be approved for five cards every 24 months. That's why it's called the 524 rule. And that's regardless of the card issuer. So if you got three Amex cards, then started applying for Chase cards, Chase would only approve you for two because that would hit you up at five. This is why people typically go for the Chase cards first and then they move on to the other banks. So if you're going to get, you know, multiple Chase cards, you want to acquire those Chase cards before you apply for an Amex card most of the time, unless you're only getting less than five anyway, which I guess technically this guide recommends six, but you could almost definitely do everything you want to do with five. Okay, so now that we've made it through the FAQs, the prerequisites, the timing, the watchouts, the risks, the yada, 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 cover your ass stuff, let's talk about how you can get started earning points for free travel. So I'm going to run you through a few of my favorite cards. So this first card is only for people that don't have a credit card yet, okay? So if you're listening to this and you already have credit cards and you have an established credit score, you're good. Skip this step. If you don't have any credit cards yet, this is where you want to start. You want to start with a good cash back card, like the Chase Freedom card or the Chase Freedom Flex. I like the Chase Freedom Flex. I actually don't even have this card because my first cash back card was a Discover card and that kind of checked the box for me. But If I were starting from ground zero, this is where I would start. Here's the general gist on the Chase Freedom Flex. You get 5% back on travel, 5% back on rotating categories, 3% cash back on dining, 3% back at drug stores, and then 1% back on everything else. And there is no annual fee. So this is, by the way, the reason I think it's ridiculous to say that credit cards are unilaterally a bad idea. Because you could get between 1% and 5% cash back on everything you buy for $0 a year. It just, I don't understand why people don't do this. Anyway, that's the Chase Freedom Flex card. The other cool thing that I will note here about starting with a Chase cash back card is that the Chase Freedom cards do give you the option to earn points. Like, that can be 
translated to getting points for your purchases. And while I wouldn't recommend spending the points on anything uh, when you only have the cashback card, I would hold them and wait. Once you get that second card, which I'm about to tell you about, those points become more valuable. The literal value of each point that you earned on the cashback card goes up. You can transfer them to the new card where they are worth more and you can get basically more bang for your buck. So this second card that I would say is basically the most no-brainer card out there is the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. So last week, unfortunately, the bonus dropped down from 100,000 points to 60,000 points. I will say, though, that when I got mine, it was only at 50,000 points, so I don't feel bad for you getting your 60,000. But this is really one of the most valuable travel credit cards out there because it's so cheap. The amount of value that you can get from the sign-up bonus for such a low annual fee at $95 is pretty mind-blowing. So you really just have to spend $4,000 in the first three months of account opening, so $1,333 per month, to get your sign-up bonus. And I just can't emphasize enough how definitively this card needs to be in your wallet. Especially when it's at 100,000 points, that's $2,000 of free travel easily. So I recently made a post about my favorite way to use Chase Points. I transfer them to Hyatt. That's another cool benefit of Chase Points is that you can transfer them one-to-one to other programs like the Hyatt Rewards Program, and they're actually worth more through Hyatt. So for example... You could look up the Hyatt Zalara in Cancun in the Chase Travel Portal where you could redeem your points there. And at one point, it costs 44,000 points a night in the Chase Portal. But if you transfer them to Hyatt, it's only 25,000 points a night. So Hyatt, just kind of tuck that tip in your back pocket. An amazing transfer partner for your Chase points. I If you're ever going to stay in a hotel, (laughs) I would check a Hyatt property if you have a lot of Chase points and look at transferring there. So the other things that you get with this card, you get a $50 hotel credit annually. That's new. That's also kind of just reinforces why a $95 annual fee is ridiculously low because $50 of it is getting refunded to you in the form of a credit. You get five times points booked on travel through the Chase Travel Portal, and you get three times points on restaurants, streaming services, and online grocery purchases, which is kind of random, but it is what it is. You also get two times points on travel booked outside the Chase Travel Portal, and then one point on everything else. There's this other new thing that they added where you get 10% bonus points every year based on your spending. So, for example, if you spent, you know, $20,000 and say you earned 20,000 points, I'm pretty sure you would get 2,000 bonus points, you know, 10% of that rewarded to you after you re-up the annual fee. So, I think that's a retention play that they're doing, but In any case, it's an amazing card. The points are super versatile, and it's definitely the one you want to start with if you don't have any, basically, history at all doing travel rewards, right? 
This was my first one, and it's still, to this day, one of my favorites. Let's see. So, number two. I guess this is technically number three if you're starting with the cashback card, right? For your third card, I would recommend getting an airline card. And I am partial to two particular airline cards. One that I have, one that I'm now thinking of getting. But surprise, surprise, they're both Chase cards. One is the Southwest Rapid Rewards Priority Card. The reason I love this card is because the Rapid Rewards program is so freaking valuable. You can book flights for 2,000 or 3,000 points. This is a huge reason why even when I lived in Dallas, I never got an American Airlines credit card because the credit card would give you 65,000 points and a single one way would cost you 25,000. And I was like, well, I'm going to run out of points from this card and like one round trip. Why would I do that? Versus the Southwest card where at the time of this recording, the Southwest Rapid Rewards Priority Card has a sign up bonus of, I believe, 40,000 points, but that should be going up again soon. You can book one-way flights for as low as 2,000 points. So, in short, they just go a really, really long way. The other really cool thing about the Southwest program is that if you can get 125,000 points in one year, which you could technically do by getting the Southwest personal card and the Southwest business card, you get companion pass, which means one person can fly free with you for the rest of the current year and the entire following year. So I'll put an article specifically about how to get companion pass in the show notes, but That's another major, major reason why the Southwest Rapid Rewards Program, if you live in a city that Southwest flies out of, is probably your best bet as far as getting bang for your buck. I will say it doesn't make a ton of sense to put like any ongoing spending on this card under normal circumstances. Uh, You will get 7,500 anniversary points every year, a chance to earn A-list status and upgraded boardings that are worth $40 a piece. You'll get four of those, so it's worth $160 total. You'll also get a $75 annual travel credit to Southwest. I've been using that travel credit to pay the taxes. So what I do is I book my flights in the points, and then there's usually taxes of $5.60 one way domestically, or usually probably around $50 one way internationally. I'll use that $75 travel credit to pay for the taxes so the flights are completely free, which is really, really sickeningly amazing. So the top pick here is the priority card. They have several different credit cards. They've got the plus, the premier, and the priority. That's kind of the order. Plus is the lowest, premier is middle, priority is like the best one, the top one. The annual fee is $149. So this is one where... It may feel hard to justify at first, but if you're going to fly Southwest, the upgraded boardings, the annual travel credit, and the annual 7,500 points, it's like kind of a no-brainer in my opinion. It's very easy to justify. You get that entire annual feedback and then some. 
So the other airline card I would recommend, if Southwest doesn't fly out of where you live, I would recommend getting the United card. I don't have that one yet, so I'm going to probably get it and then do a little follow-up, but that's another one that's worth looking into. They are both Chase cards. They do both have really, really lucrative points programs. United is similar in that you can get one-ways fairly cheaply, especially internationally, so the points go a really long way. Okay, number four. Let's switch gears. We're going to talk about hotel cards now. So I know we talked about Hyatt, and I love Hyatt's program. I love how cheap points-wise their rooms are and what amazing value you can get for your points. But the kind of shitty thing about Hyatt is that their credit card doesn't have a very high sign-up bonus. You get 50,000 points for your sign-up bonus. The other hard thing about Hyatt is that there aren't as many Hyatt properties as there are some other chains. So my pick for hotel brands to kind of start building loyalty to is Marriott. This is because there are Marriott properties literally everywhere at every stage of the expense ladder. So at the bottom rung, you can stay. I believe Marriott Courtyard is one of the cheapest stays available, like a category two, all the way up to the Ritz-Carlton, the St. Regis. So no matter how you're trying to travel, you are going to have options with Marriott points. It's just a really robust program, and the points do go a decently far way. So I like the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless card. It has a $95 annual fee, and I believe at the time of this recording in October of 2021, the, yeah, wow, this is great, the sign-up bonus is three free nights up to a 105,000 total point value. So free nights work a little bit differently than just straight up points. With straight up points, you can apply them really in any increment, whereas a free night is it's kind of like a certificate that you can apply. So if you have a 50,000 point per night certificate, you could apply it to any hotel that has 50,000 or fewer points required. So obviously you're probably going to want to save it until you're staying at a place that is going to give you like the full bang for the buck. But it's a really, really great way to kind of bank up some free hotel nights. The other thing that I love about the Marriott program that I just want to note here before I forget is that your fourth night... I'm sorry, your fifth night is free. If you book four nights, you get a fifth night free, which is really cool. And the last I checked, that's just kind of across the board. It's not like a special promotion or something that only applies to certain properties. Um, So if you book any four nights somewhere, then your fifth night is comped, which is another great way for your points to go a really long way, right? If you're going to stay five nights somewhere. You get six times points on Marriott purchases, which, mm, okay, and you get one free night per year valued at 35,000 points. So remember how I said that all of these cards that I'm going to tell you about today are able to be justified beyond the sign-up bonus? This is what I mean. This is why I keep this card. I do put some spend on it if I'm going to be at a Marriott. I will put the spend there to get the six times points on the dollars. But 
really the big bang for your buck on this one is that every single year you're going to get a free night certificate worth 35,000 points. Sometimes a 35,000 point room is $400, right? So if you're paying $95 per year for the card, you could really be doing some major arbitrage with that free night certificate. That's why I love the Bonvoy card. So let's pause because now if you were starting with card number one, we're on our fifth card. If you weren't starting with card number one, say you were starting with the Chase Sapphire Preferred, now you'd be on card number four. So you have a few options for card number five that I kind of want to just run through with you. Um, The first one (laughs) is the one that I always get rejected for. However, I have not reapplied since building a legitimate business, so I'm sure I would get it now. But the Chase Inc. Business Preferred card. This is another one of those cards where it's just worth a ridiculous amount of money, the sign-up bonus, and the annual fee is questionably low. So for $95 a year, you can get the Inc. Business Preferred credit card. Again, it is a business card, so theoretically you should have a business if you're applying, but in some states you can register as a sole proprietor in the application and just use your social security number where it asks for a business ID. I obviously did not have great luck with that, but worth a shot. If you do have a business, this card rocks, and you get 100,000 points. So you could theoretically get the Chase Inc. Business Preferred and the Chase Sapphire Preferred, and you could have gotten 200,000 points total between them when the bonus was 100k on the Sapphire card and be paying less than $200 a year in annual fees, which is wild. The other uh, card option that I want to throw out here in case you're really trying to rack up hotel points specifically is that Hyatt card. It's another Chase card. Again, we're really trying to, you know, get the Chase cards in first to avoid any infiltration of the 524 rule. Those Hyatt points, they're really lucrative. Again, a $95 annual fee, not bad at all. And then the United Explorer card is the United card. That is, I believe, $0 for the first year and then $95 annual fee after. So if you're kind of like, okay, my head is spinning, you just threw a lot at me. Those three cards that I just mentioned, they're kind of just alternatives, I would say, for the first few that we really dug deep into. So say you want to fly United and stay at Hyatt. Okay, well, then I would go for those. But my really like true assessment is that If you are trying to get the most bang for your buck, the Southwest and Marriott programs are going to give that to you. Okay, so we're wrapping up now. Let's talk about the granddaddy of all credit cards, the Platinum card from American Express. Okay, I get it. This card has a $550 annual fee that has recently been increased to $695 a year. I totally understand why it's hard to justify and why people, you know, when they originally, when I started posting about this card, I would get kind of incredulous DMs that were like, surely you're not actually paying for this, right? Like, do you actually have this card? Do you really think it's worth it? Yes, I really, really do. So let's run through the breakdown, shall we? The Sign up bonus, welcome bonus, whatever you want to call it right now, is 100,000 membership rewards points, okay? So that's pretty damn good. I would say that's worth roughly $1,000 depending on how you use them. But 
The funny thing about the Platinum card is that the initial welcome bonus isn't even really where the Platinum card shines. Let me run through the recurring benefits. It's going to take me a second to, uh, whew, I gotta, <laughs> gotta get my breath for this. You get up to a $200 Uber credit, a $100 SACS credit, a $100 credit for TSA PreCheck or Global Entry, five times points on all travel purchases, Centurion Lounge and Priority Pass Lounge Access. Now, those are, to me, the two biggest draws. I freaking love airport lounges. I refuse to like travel without going to an airport lounge now and you get access to the fine hotels and resorts collection which includes $100 of resort credits and then a $75 daily breakfast credit so that is one of the other kind of underrated things that I think is good to know about this card is that if you're gonna stay in a five-star property that you book through Amex you're going to get a crazy amount of value while you're there. If you're staying somewhere for five days and you get a $75 breakfast credit every day and then the $100 resort credit, that's $475 of added value just on one trip. So depending on kind of how you're traveling, it can be really, really valuable. They just added new credits as well. So let me run through these. You've got a $200 annual hotel credit that just got added. So that's also just for the fine hotels and resorts collection. A $240 annual streaming credit, kind of random. $179 clear credit. So you can combine that with TSA PreCheck and spend all of three minutes in airport security. And then a $300 Equinox credit, which like people were dunking on that one, but I just got the SoulCycle at home bike. So I actually really appreciate that because it basically makes my monthly classes worth like $15 out of pocket to me. So you would get 100,000 points up front and then all of those credits, which I can't remember the last time I added them all up, but it's easily over $1,000 of value on a recurring basis. So net of the annual fee, it's probably at least $400 to $500 in value, and it could be worth way more depending on how much you're traveling. So that's the Amex Platinum. That's why I still to this day, recommend it despite the annual fee hike, and I will put my updated review of that card in the show notes so you can kind of see it laid out all in front of you. So let's summarize. If you don't have a credit card yet, you're going to want to start with the cashback card to establish your credit. Next, you'd move to the Chase Sapphire Preferred. After that, you would get the Southwest Airlines Rapid Rewards Priority or another airline card if you're not going to fly Southwest Marriott Bonvoy Boundless would come after that, and then you would do your wild card. So again, the purpose of this wild card is, you know, it's optional, but if you want to get another hotel or airline or travel agnostic business card, like the Chase Inc. Business Preferred, these are all Chase cards. So it's going to ensure that you get all of your Chase cards first, and then you want to get the Amex Platinum last. So you can go out of order if you want. I was just thinking through what would be the most optimal way to get these cards, but really the most optimal way probably breaks down more to the way that you're going to try to travel 
And the cool thing about this is that you can actually do this in what I like to call two-player mode. So I'll put the link to this article in the show notes, but you can get roughly $10,000 in free travel, last I calculated, by doing this as a couple. And, you know, you take turns referring one another and getting the referral bonuses for each card. So I won't dive into that today, but it's effectively the exact same strategy just with layering in a second person and referring that second person and switching back and forth. Okay, I think that's everything. But I guess before I go, I kind of want to hit on how I structure my spending because at the end of this episode, you may be sitting there like, okay, I uh, I kind of get how you're getting all the points to begin with, but how are you continuing to earn points? And this is a tricky question. So I'll start off by saying that I don't put any spend on the Southwest and the Marriott cards. I put very little, I should say, on those two cards. Rare circumstances would I use those just to actually spend money and earn points. I put majority of my spending on the Sapphire Preferred card because those ultimate rewards points from Chase are technically the most valuable per dollar. And I'll put definitely all my travel spend with the exception of maybe a flight that I'm, you know, using the travel credit to pay for from Southwest. Or if I'm in a Marriott property and I'm paying for room service, I might use the Marriott card for six times Marriott points. But I will put most travel on the Amex Platinum card. Other than that, it is kind of a crapshoot. I will say there are ways to calculate how much you're going to earn points-wise every year based on how much you're spending, and I'll link that in the show notes too. But really, the best way is to get referrals. This sounds very Ponzi scheme MLM, I'm fully aware, but if you're really trying to rack up points quickly, the best way is to get referrals. So what you would do is go on your Instagram or your Twitter or your Facebook, if you ever use Facebook anymore, and you're basically just going to post your referral link and say, hey, I'm taking a free vacation next month because of this credit card. And I guarantee you at least one or two people will sign up for it. You usually get between fifteen and 20,000 points per referral, so it's definitely the most efficient way to get points. And like I said, even though it sounds a little MLM-y, uh, if you are really traveling for free with these cards and enjoying your experience, you referring somebody else is just going to give them a free vacation too. So I wouldn't feel too bad about it, especially if it comes up naturally. I think that's pretty common. I had so many friends that would see what I was doing and want to do it too. So I would shoot them a referral link and it was a super easy way to generate more points even before I had a blog. Okay, now I really think I'm done. I think that's everything. I hope that that answered some of your burning questions about travel rewards. And I will see you next time on the Money with Katie podcast slash show slash I don't know what we're calling this, but that's okay. Send me your tips. DM me. Okay, bye now.